In this first ever guest episode, my guest and good friend Graham helps me analyze DC's most recent imagining of their most famous villain. Graham explains how the works of Jean Baudrillard relate to Joker, and together we criticize popular responses to the film, which misread it as a pro-Second Amendment incel apologist narrative. We also challenge leftist readings, which believe Joker is a reactionary and non-revolutionary tale. So I'll just throw us right into the discussion. What exactly do you find so interesting about the Joker before we go in to talk about um, what the film has to do with Baudrillard and also your research about Baudrillard in relation to the film, but what strikes you about the film in relation to other movies that we see um, in the mainstream, but also to other movies in like the Batman universe, set in the Batman universe? Okay. Um, okay, so obviously I think the inversion of like the character's role, because like this is like the post-Nolan um, universe, you know, where like Joker is just kind of like this um anarchic um eccentric figure who is just who's a marginal but like not really a marginal because he kind of like exists independently of um you know gotham like he doesn't like he just up and makes a shit ton of money like he pulls these great heists that and so money is no object to him um so that's one of the big differences and um so that what made this Joker interesting was that he was he was a marginal, but he was not like this like wild figure. You know, he was just this guy, <laughs> um, and so that that was like the immediate draw for me. Oh, so you're saying in the Nolan films that he was just some like simp, ar- simpleton arnica yeah. who just came out of the way? <laughs> yeah, like he was. I mean, it was cool. Like it was pretty. Like obviously that movie was pretty cool because like. Because Joker was just this like agent of anarchy, um, and he was just completely antithetical to um, Batman's project. Was jo- he was just trying to emphasize the the moral and structural contradictions of Gotham, and so in that way, um, Nolan's movie was cool. But what was better about this, I think, was that it didn't need to be this you know unreal like like fantasy joker like it was someone some it could be anybody like even today um and something i liked about it a lot was um that he like the characteristics you typically think of joker were just normalized um and so that in that way i really like this joker as opposed to in contrast to the other joker because it's hard not to watch it's not hard not to compare when you're watching this one because that one was just such a big movie and, you know, it has such an infamous... Oh, yeah, for sure. So, and, and the way it stood opposed to Nolan's movie, I really liked. Um, second, I think, obviously, that it was, like, it had some glaring anti-capitalist, um, you know, undercurrents. And mm-hmm. not even undercurrents, like, it was in your face. Um, like, obviously, like, I mean, in the from the first scene, it's a, you just hear a radio segment, and it pretty much gives you all the information you need to know is that um right from the outset like the first like couple minutes um that he's a clown 
Um, and, and you hear he's listening to a radio segment where they're talking about Gotham's garbage crisis. Um, and that, you know, there, there are these like giant super rats and basically Gotham is just deteriorating. Um, Dude, yeah. I forgot about the super rats. Yeah. I totally yeah. forgot about the super rats. Yeah. And, you know, honestly, like it took me three times to wa- watching it to like really pick up on why that was important. Um, and we can talk about that later. But um, so from the radio segment, you hear that, um, you know, there's a garbage crisis. It's, it's piling up everywhere. And that the only reason it's being brought up is because um, landlords in like, are concerned about heating prices or something <laughs> like so it already tells you that um th- there is a structural imbalance that like you know it's it's the elite who pretty much run the game in gotham and that's pretty apparent from the outset so that's it's something immediately that was like very um that drew me in so yeah i mean what's really funny is that in response to that so obviously, like, I don't know about you, but when I went into the movie, I didn't know it was going to have like this uh, semi-class or actually overt class consciousness overtones, right? Because when the movie first came out, I don't know if you remember, it seemed like the liberal crowd was like painting as like, this movie promotes gun violence and whatnot. And so actually, I was I went to the New York Film Festival the same day it was premiering at the festival. I, I didn't go see Joker, but I was going to see another movie. And I went three times to see three different different films. And on that day in the Joker, the whole place was like covered with SWAT and like police officers because they were worried that not only in that theater, but just all around America, that there would have been uh, um, like organized terrorist attacks because this movie was gonna promote gun violence. So I went to this movie thinking oh, like, oh, the Joker is gonna be like some pro second amendment gun guy. And then like you said, from the first, basically five minutes in the film, I'm like, oh no, this movie's really different because the, basically the, the first conversation he has with that social worker, um, that psychologist is like, you know, they're, cu- they're cutting these programs off. And basically she just says out front, him, out, out, out front to him, the world doesn't give a shit about people like you and me. And it's like, I mean, I rewatched it again and another time, but it's not until like you're like midway into the film that of course the liberals would paint this as a gun violence movie and then completely forget like, so I, I went in thinking that the main violence, source of violence is gonna be physical violence, but it was just pervaded with mental and class violence the whole time. And that's what was really shocking to me. I was like kind of in, not even, I, I can't recall another superhero movie I watched or a movie based on comic books that has this level of class consciousness. So I'm interested, I'm interested in what you have to say of why did the liberals think that this movie was like pro gun violence for some reason? Yeah, dude, I remember the reaction was pretty fucking liberal. Like, <laughs> um, I remember that when I was, someone was telling me about it before I first saw it, they're like, oh yeah, it's about uh, mental health. <laughs> like, I don't know, I thought that was pretty telling. Um, and you know, that was just like the narrative, but in terms of the um, gun violence narrative, I didn't, I, I didn't hear that. Like personally, I didn't really hear about. It. I just heard about the mental health aspect of it, and like that was the, that was the thing that everyone was talking about. At least from what I heard. Did you know going in that it was going to be such a class conscious film? Oh no, I had no idea. So that was shocking to you, also. That was very shocking to me. So why why were you initially drawn to the film? Just you just wanted to watch it? Yeah, no, I well I heard about it. Um, 
and you know, I mean, just the Joker as a character is just something that's interesting to me. Um, and I mean, like, just from the impression I had from the um, the the Dark Knight movie that I wanted to watch it, like, I had no idea it was going to be so like in your face, like anti-capitalist, like eat the rich narrative. Um, and like, so that's why, I mean, that that's that was shocking to me, but um, but yeah, I just basically heard only about the mental health aspect. Yeah, but not even only that, it was just shocking that the film actually, like, you know, depicts, like, a, an explicit line between, like, class violence and mental deterioration. Like, it's not like he's, like, uh, like just a mentally ill person just like that, but, like, you know, contributes that to his, you know, you know uh, living conditions. So that was really interesting to me, because when I came out of the film, I was like, well, of course people think, and I mean, one of my film professors, actually, I, I went to talk to them about the film and they kind of like dismissed it. They were like, I read the v reviews and um, they kind of received it as like, oh, this is like a, some male dominated film and promotes like white male violence and whatever, without even giving the film a, a watch. They kind of just like dismissed it as that. And I was like, kind of like, mm. Well, I, we'll get to those criticisms because they're definitely there about like the white male violence. Yeah, I, there's definitely like a discourse in that film that we're not gonna get in, you know, fucking Avengers, you know. And it's starting with what's really, really shocking to me is how Thomas Wayne was depicted in this film. Like, yeah, in the Dark Knight series and other Batman films, he's like a martyr. In this film, he's kind of like a Trumpian figure. You know, he's he's totally a villain. And he's like, um, you know, a direct um, antagonism for, you know, the revolts that, you know, happen after Arthur sort of gets some steamrolling, um, but also just an antagonism for Arthur himself. Like, he's not a good person at all. He's individualistic, you know, profit driven. Really, he's like kind of like, oh, law and order, kind of like Trump. Like, we need to like invest in like, policing to clean like he, he explicitly says like you know let's clean the streets and he's an asshole kind of he's like yeah i'm, I'm gonna run for office and lock everybody up which and it, it, it's crazy because this is also set in you know a fictional 1970s gotham but it kind of feels like a a reagan era urban city also you're right isn't that kind of like it's kind of like Reagan in that same regard is like, yeah, well, we're gonna, yeah, yeah. the way we're going to clean up the ghetto is yeah. by just, you know, policing them <laughs> yeah. more. And we're going to, you know, um, attack crime by, you know, law and order. And we'll clean like this, this rhetoric of cleaning up um, the streets. So rather than like depict them as like some, you know, some godsend, some hero that the city lost, he's. Yeah. Definitely someone that the city really didn't need. And I don't, I don't really explicitly mention why social program is getting cut, but it's, it's just getting cut. Yeah, no, I think that's a good point. And like, it's just so funny because I watched the um, the third one recently, the third Batman movie, the one with Bane, um, The Dark Knight Rises. And t Thomas Wayne is still portrayed in that way. Like, you know, oh, why, why, um, uh, Thomas Wayne was like giving money to orphans and like why aren't we giving to orphans anymore? Like, like what? 
um so like yeah definitely the contrast like yeah he's like just this neoliberal like yeah you're right like reaganite that's just i would even say neoconservative man like some reagan thatcher-esque uh yeah hero but yeah the dark knight films they're kind of just like you know these um godly philanthropists who like you know go around saving the saving the world quote-unquote by pouring money not really pouring money into anything it's like you know and then his son bruce kind of rather again he his way of like fighting crime is just punching the shit out of like actual people like poor quote-unquote um yeah uh, villains who you know as we see in this film are actually coming from you know poor social conditions and what's really interesting is that i listened to zizek Zizek had a podcast about the Joker. Um, well, not a podcast, but I heard him like talking about the Joker because um, actually you told me that he was a film critic and I actually started reading his film criticism. And he talks about the comparison to Dark Knight Rises that like Bane is kind of like in the same position in Joker in that he kind of mobilizes, like he overthrows Gotham and like, you know, releases, frees all the prisoners in the city and like all these, you know, formerly incarcerated people take over the city but the way it's shown there is just like you know they're not humanized or at all like we, we don't align with their perspective it's like gotham turns into a shithole right and the way that movie ends is well, it's basically like the the cops versus the the you know the incarcerated people who like turn this like flip the city upside down and the police are fighting you know that that massive mosh pit fight that in the end so that batman really Towards that, because I mean, he starts as a vigilante, but at the end of that trilogy of the Dark Knight Rises trilogy, he's kind of like sided with law and order. And Bane, you know, who had, you know, minimal, it was there. Like he wasn't, he tried to cr- crash a stock market. And, you know, Zizek refers him as like the, a proletariat rising and um, releases all these formerly incarcerated people. He kind of represents where the, where the Joker stands in this film. But, in that film, he's explicitly the bad guy. There's like no, there's no negotiation with that. But in this film, you know, it's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm just really happy they gave us like an alternate perspective um, and a different take on the Joker rather than him being some psychotic anarchist. And, yeah, yeah, because like you know, you're yeah, it's right because like they're the way they portray all the inmates and all the prisoners in that movie is like every single one of them is like a violent criminal. And the moment you let loot, let them out and the moment police aren't there to keep everyone in check, everything falls apart. And like, I just thought that was just such a, just a terrible portrayal. And that, like, and the thing is, that's like our dominant representations of, you know, incarcerated and poor people in movies, you know, um, it, it's, it's just really crazy that a superhero film you know, started off with aligning us with a working class um, person in, you know, in an urban setting. Because most of the superheroes, Iron Man, Batman, they're like gazillionaires, playboys, you know, womanizers, philanthropists. Um, we're constantly aligned in superhero narratives of super wealthy people and we just beat the shit out of bad guys who are just who are just bad, who are bad guys for the sake of being bad guys. You know, yeah. there's no really like personification of like, well, why exactly are they, um, you know, 
a, a quote unquote villain and where are they coming from? That's what's that's what for me was um really groundbreaking about Joker. I'm thinking if there's anything else that was really striking in the film for me. I think um I wanted to touch just a minor point about you what you mentioned about um I guess I haven't thought about this before, but um you know it's never you you said it, like it's never explained why um his social program is cut. You know, all you know is that it's cut. And I guess that's kind of like more or less in line with how it is. It's like a confusing like like maelstrom of like, oh, you know, shit is happening, like garbage is everywhere. Um, you know, my social program are getting caught. There's no coherence. Like, it doesn't feel like there's any, like, you know, with, like, these um, typical, like, superhero narratives, you have one enemy. You have Bane. You know, that single person that you can identify, like, oh, once Bane is defeated, you know, the city can go back to its, um, you know, its typical social order. But, you know, with, with this, it's like, you know, who's the enemy? It's just, it's a, it's a, you know, it's a person or thing or force that can't be identified. It's like, oh, I guess my social programs are being cut. Um, you know, people are angry all the time. Like, I'm getting the shit kicked out of me for, you know. I just got the shit kicked out of me. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to bother you, reference. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, going off that, it's like, yeah, it was just so shocking to me that people were saying this movie promotes gun violence because only five, you know, only five gunshots or shot or something like that and you know the clear the, it's 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 in the middle of the in the midpoint of the film his, his his like turning point is basically when he gets fired from work and his one of his co-workers who i believe was like making fun of him all the time gave him that gun it's like you to protect yourself in these streets and you know he unfortunately brought it with him to like a children's hospital and lost his job from that like literally the the main turning turning point in the film that like leads him into this downward spiral is him losing a job that's true and i think that was that was intentional on behalf of his co-worker because you know the his boss had mentioned how uncomfortable everyone was around him. um so i think it was it was to me i thought that that was because like oh this guy just doesn't want him to have a job anymore because he's just like such an alienated like you know um just a controversial person i guess or like you know he was just so alienated from that no one liked him not even his co-workers but um but yeah no you're right like it is like the the turning point is like wow i lost my job and i can't get my medication anymore like that's not that's not like a it's not it's, it's, not coincidental. it's like well i lost my job the same day i went crazy because <laughs> isn't it that same day that it that same night that he shoots those guys in the subway or is it like another night but it's right it's after the same night it's the same night so he he lost his job at the hospital uh, um uh yeah the the clown agency because he brought in a gun and then when he was going home that night um that's when you know the, the people assaulted him yeah um, and also like like it's like so many things are just really outwards in your face like that like those guys too it's gotham but there's wall street in gotham they're like wall street guys but they were like harassing a woman and, you know, they position them, well, I, they try to, I'm not saying that they are villains, but try to pos position them in an antagonistic way. And all the people that he kind of, you know, gets his quote unquote revenge on are people who were directly antagonizing him or antagonizing someone 
around him. Um, yeah, I just thought that that sort of like, again, sort of um, attempted sexual violence kind of also uh, mobilizes him to act, to protect himself, but not like necessarily directly in towards what he was doing to that woman. I can't remember, does she like run out the subway or is she like just, in, she moved, weaves the car? Yeah, she just walked out. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, the film definitely does not portray white capitalists or financiers in a positive way at all. Like they're no. are misogynists, they are clearly disconnected from the people. There's, they're not shown in, a, bright light at all but do you think do you think like how many how many people do you think came out again we're talking from the liberal perspective but like even just you know more you know apolitical watchers who are just fans of superhero movies just thought like well it's a great film but actually came out of that thinking like well this film was about like class violence yeah i don't I don't know. I, I, in terms of the um, liberal response, I think it's pretty telling that you know, like, um, like you were saying, there was a, there was like a gun violence glorification fetishization narrative, which is interesting because, like you said, there was only like four or five shots, and it's not as if all American movies are like don't have guns in them or violence like, or violence. Yeah, like quintessential American film is like explosions. You know, yeah and like war like literally like war problems. really a really funny yeah i mean the article i sent you kind of like referenced that uh really funny like this dude i mean he seemed pretty based i went with so i went my, to my friend to the new york film festival and um when we were there we were just looking at like the crowd and all these swap people like with like really big semi-automatic rifles and this dude just comes and talks to us like this is kind of ridiculous and he's like, it's crazy that people are calling this violent, but like in like the latest Avengers film, like the villain committed galactic genocide. Yeah. <laughs> he called it galactic genocide and like killed trillions of life, not just human life, but like plant life, animal life across the universe. And he also, he, he also just had mentioned just how in superhero films in general, or just like in these blockbuster films, like, or even in Star Wars, that the Empire blows up a, a whole planet of people. Or like, you know, these superheroes are like, they just, they level cities. They destroy property and infrastructure and whatever. But we don't see that as violence because, you know, I mean, it's, it, you know, in this film, the main, viol the, the main violence that no one can see is that mental, again, that mental and, and, and class violence. Right. Yeah, and so I guess I think my thinking about, like, the narrative and fear that came out about, like, the gun violence thing is because it was, like, a class violence, and, like, I guess that just bordered on, okay, well, this is, you know, because the, the movie was attempting to, like, like, give you this realism, you know, mm -hmm. this, like, very palpable realism, and so maybe that's where it's, like, oh, well, it's glorifying violence because it's a very real movie, but um, the only violence really was like i mean in terms of gun violence was um the, the the wall street killing and then the murray killing yeah um, but yeah like i mean i just think that's so silly because what american film doesn't have shootings in it like it just right. um so i just think it's funny because most american films have shootings and like most critically acclaimed ones like american sniper 
are nothing but war porn. Like, how is that, like, not decried because of its, you know, quote-unquote gun glorification or fetishization? Like, it's just, that's just silly to me. It's a very silly narrative. And I think, like, the, the you know, I think it's funny because, you know, I didn't hear anything about the class critique coming from other people. I just heard the mental health critique. So that just makes me think, like, the power to which ideology shifts or, or molds our ability to, you know, derive or, or take away information from even when it's in your face, you know, like this was clearly in your face and it was just like, oh, well, you know, he didn't have his meds, you know, not taking into account that he couldn't get his meds because city funding was cut or that, you know, you know, he was just an alienated person in general. Um, so not only, not only that, it's just kind of like, you know, there's, um, I mean, we, we, we can all agree, like, our generation and, or is really facing, like, a pandemic of, you know, uh, mental illness. And a lot of us do struggle with mental health uh, increasingly, or it's just, you know, the discourse around it is becoming, you know, more open. But very seldom do when we learn about mental health and do we attribute that to, like, you know, capitalist society. It's just like people are depressed and anxious and suffer from other forms of, uh, you know, mental deterioration, obviously for uh, 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 an array of reasons, right? But there are studies out there that show that a lot of that has to do with, you know, day-to-day class violence that, you know, people devote most of their life or most of their week really to working or commuting to work and you know what does that do to the to the to the psyche when you're constantly working all the time you don't have you don't really have the time to do something that you want to do for fun or for leisure or to relax because basically when you come home you're just kind of like recovering from the day you eat dinner and then you sleep to wake up early the next morning and you know one of my friends said that you know (laughs) best quote ever we're not meant to work a nine to five. Like humans, I, I don't know if we can just be reduced to working nine to fives for 50, 40 years. Like we try to normalize and whatever, but yeah. very seldom do we hear conversations that attribute mental, mental deterioration to um, capitalism. And yeah, you know, the threat is present in this movie. The threat is present in this movie about that. Yeah. And like, you know, it just, it's so crazy to me that, you know, the whole logic of, or, or, you know, the neoliberal package or, you know, the way neoliberals kind of frame capitalism is that, you know, there's increasing productivity, there's more like, you know, fruits of industry and therefore we're all benefiting from it. But, you know, you would expect then that as time goes on and productivity just by naturally, like, you know, with automation or like, you know, just the way um, industries unfold under capitalism that eventually we'll reach a point where, you know, no one needs to be productive because, you know, we already have the productive means producing themselves. So it's like, you know, it's crazy to me that, you know, despite the fact that, you know, production is increasing, people's livelihoods are not getting better. You know, like the point is not to work. Like the point, the point of life isn't to work. Like, like you were saying, you know, like, you know, it's, it's not just to recover from being destroyed from a day's labor. Yeah. Or at least it shouldn't be. You know, you should have time to, you know, find fulfillment or self-actualization. Like that's just. And, and you know, this film really does. Um, I have one more point. I think uh, we maybe should move on to your the article that you're drafting in Bojard. But 
Another point is like this film really aligns you and latches you on to Arthur's daily life. When you think about it before like the midpoint, like the turning point in the film, all you're seeing him do really is going to work, coming back from work, staying at home with his mom, who also needs, who is, you know, get I, I think part, part of the nursing class and he's taking care of her also. Uh, but she also needs, definitely needs social assistance, just, you know, physically, you know, he's, he's bathing her in, in one scene. She, she needs social, um, physical assistance. And, you know, for like 30 minutes in the film, if I recall, you're just kind of watching him commute home and then go to work. And you're not only that, you're seeing how he's treated at work, but also on the commute, you know, when he's laughing in that bus and he's so alienated from society and he has to carry around a card that, you know, you know, um, notifies people about his condition because that lady in front of him is kind of just like, the fuck is wrong with you? Like, stop laughing and whatever. So that that leisure time that he's supposed to have, that time away from work, he's also getting just constantly just, you know, attacked yeah. mentally. And I think another thing that you, that you see Arthur spend a lot of time with is just about, like, his relationship to media. You know, like, in you know, he's watching TV like he's watching Gotham News, he's listening to Gotham News, he's watching Murray, he's having a fantasy about his relationship with Murray, he's reading reading Gotham newspaper, you know, like there is there's a huge media presence in this. Um and I think that yeah. that was one of the most important things I think was more or less glossed over because you know it wasn't in your face I guess as much but you know I think the media role was like honestly the biggest takeaway for me. Yeah, so going into that um, so you sent me an article that you're drafting right now, hoping to get published about, uh, you know, analyzing this film for basically what we've talked about the last 30 minutes or so, but talking about it with, uh, in relation to the works of Baudrillard. So can you sort of like give like a brief detail, like who is Baudrillard as like a cultural theorist? And what exactly are you trying to do in this research paper and talk about in, in relation to the Joker? And I mean, you give a really good analysis about the world because the media is a whole other thing to talk about in this. So, I mean, please like explain more about that. Yeah. Um, so, so John Baudrillard was a French um, sociologist and philosopher. Um, and he was really like what he's really known for is like his, he's pretty infamous for his book Simulation and Simulacra. Um, it was, if you see the Matrix, um, they like they have the the book out. You know they they reference it. Um, yeah, no, it's in it's in the Matrix. Um, so he's pretty well known for that. Um, for basically um, this idea of like hyper reality, um, which is like kind of um, symptomatic of late stage capitalism which is sort of what he's writing about. And he's trying to take Marx way beyond what he's saying. Like, so um, his, so right now I'm reading his like earlier works. Um, the, the book I'm reading right now is for critique of the political economy of the sign, which is basically saying that, you know, Marx kind of delineates between like exchange value and use value. You know, those are kind of like the two domains of that constitute like an object oriented and object mediated world and like you know our object oriented um, social relationships but so he says that you know marx needs to does not take out take into account like symbolic 
or what do you call sign value, which is like, um, so it, he, he uses um, semiotics and language to really um, sort of take Marx further, where he says that every, it's not only that we're, there is production of like commodities, but simultaneous with that production is the production of um, social value attached to the um, objects to which are being produced and adhere to social logic. So like, um, this is just more or less like taking into account um, sociology and like sort of I guess prestige value and um, symbolic value in in relation to production and commodity and commodification of um, life itself. So um, what he's I guess to explain him um, in a word would be like he basically says that. Um, there are two um, sort of um, framings of quote-unquote reality. So there is the um, simulation and there is the there is reality. So this is kind of like, I guess, um, a misunderstood way um, notion that he has. He's, he never, it's not like simulation began with like Instagram or like TV or like something we might typically associate with. A quote unquote simulation, this kind of like futurism. But rather, he says that it's like, you know, it starts with, if you look through human history, it starts with like cave paintings. It's when we have this sort of model that we use to represent um, quote unquote reality, which we use for our gaze and our the way we frame reality as such back onto it. So it's this sort of relationship we have with um, models and sort of. Um, caricatures or representations of reality that we use to represent reality which augments or you know frames reality so it's this kind of like it's not necessarily a bad thing you know i think people sort of put this bad connotation onto it where it's like oh you're you know you're in this hyper reality you're in this dystopia but it's not a bad thing it is only bad when um you can't escape the the frame through which you gaze reality from so he, he that's like an oppressive form of hyper reality. So you know that's so what's really interesting about the Joker movie is I think it really captures this well. Um, so like, uh, and I also so yeah. Um, so from the beginning, you know, you hear the garbage crisis and the way that's framed, and it's through the framing of like sort of this from the perspective of. Um, the elite in Gotham because you know they they make references that this is a crisis because people can't enter businesses and business owners are worried and landlords landowners are worried or landlords um, and so that's one you know that's one part of uh, one indication that is sort of this elite framing through which people are sort of ingesting them and putting back into reality and then um, you know so when Arthur gets home and he sees his mom you know. Um, this is where I sort of realized how important the um, whole super rats thing was. Um, so, you know, he's watching Gotham news and they're talking about um, this, you know, the problem of super rats because it's a, you know, an actual like epidemic of, you know, um, garbage, like garbage in the streets that is creating the conditions for, you know, mutated animals to plague, you know, the city. And it's framed as like this very real serious thing. Um, and then, you know, uh, the, the channel switches or something, and then you see it's live with Murray, which is this 
like you know late night talk show like jimmy fallon or jimmy kimmel or something um so and then and then he talks about it too and he just makes jokes about it he's like oh well, i guess we'll need super cats um and so what 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 was interesting for me and how i sort of connected that with bojard was that he says that there is um there is like a new like society has kind of entered this phase where we only mediate reality through the masses so is the masses are like a really important concept for him where the the um, media apparatus uses the masses to represent themselves to themselves so it's like oh well if you know this this television program that is you know um, supposed to be representing um, events that are taking place that are important to Gotham constituents, um, basically like the news of the city that should, should be emblematic and representative of the quote-unquote masses. That's sort of, that's mass media. Like that's the idea of mass media. Um, but like I was saying before, the framing through which that the masses are represented is through the gay, the ideological framing of the elites, people who are praising Thomas Wayne, people yep, yep. who want him to win as um, for mayor. Um, and this is clear because, you know, if you want, you know, there are a couple of interviews that the media has throughout the film with Thomas Wayne, and they do nothing but prop him up. They do not, they do nothing but say, wow, it looks like rich people are being assaulted. It looks like, you know, the poor people are just, you know, just uh, jealous or bitter Violent. over the sick. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Like just bitter over um, rich people being rich, and so the framing through which the mass media portrays the masses to themselves is through this sort of simulation. And so, why it's important is because that frames reality as such for everyone who is being represented. Um, so there's this kind of like tension and alienated ideology that people are sort of um, adopting, and that. That is sort of like this creates, and I think one of the cool themes about the movie was, you know, this overwhelming source of alienation. And I think that was a really important part of it because it's like he was completely isolated even to himself because, you know, the quote unquote um, masses, which he's a part of, aren't represented in the masses. And so he's in this like perpetual, you know, they're being um, thrown and they're being inundated with this idea of what's real that excludes them you know um and so and framing that like oh poor people or this and rich people or this so it's sort of like forcing and coercing this way of thinking that creates this sort of like alienated agitated existence that i thought you know obviously like that wasn't the only reason joker was feeling alienated but i think that captured a um an essential part of it Dude, that is really profound. Yeah, wow. yeah. Wow, that is yeah. I'm really excited for that to get published. Um, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, what's what's really um, interesting about what you said? I mean, what I was thinking is that when you realize that the mass part of the word mass media is not to like represent the voices of the masses, but just to influence them, and it's completely dominated by the gaze and the voice of the ruling class. And even conscious or unconscious intentions in the film, like you said, the, the Gotham News and Murray, whatever, they are there to just basically prop up and halo, you know, the ruling elites, whoever they be, of Gotham and really have no interest of depicting 
you know, the actual struggle of working people, the, the anger in society. And what you said is, again, like when we see, Mur- uh, not Murray, when we see Arthur go home and, you know, turn on the channel, it, it's apparent that this is like a routine thing for him. Like he always is on, on weekdays, he's going to watch Murray with his, his mom. And um, yeah, it does become dangerous because, you know, when he's watching it, and um, the film theorist Robert Stamm kind of talks about this, you know, our relationship with uh, television news and television in general as spectators is he can't, he, he's imagining, he's fantasizing himself in that space. And people now, when, I, I mean, again, unintentional or intentional, you know, the film's kind of, you know, presenting, you know, reality that arguably many people um, position themselves or false reality that they position position themselves when they watch quote unquote reality television or the news is that they fantasize themselves being inside this world and we actually go into a fantasy seamlessly that he's in the show and Murray gets up and talk like he wants to feel a sense his sense of feeling important and special is when he's part of if I'm not mistaking this term right or wrong it's is so Baudrillard categorizes like this, what he categorized like televised or like the Murray show as this hyper reality, correct? Right? Yeah. yeah. So he like imagines themselves in, in this hyper reality and kind of wants to escape the present social conditions he's in. And if he's on that show that's, you know, presented in front of Gotham's million, definitely million plus uh, residents, you know, he's important now and he matters. Right. But, Exactly, and uh, then you're brought right out. You're brought right out of that, right out of that fantasy, of that hyper reality, and you know, it'd be really, really interesting. Like, I mean, people in our reality do that, um, undeniably. You know, imagine the. You said, like, sorry, sorry. No, yeah, I mean that's definitely there's. I mean, we could have got a similar shot with the mom's fantasy of being in the show. Have you seen Requiem for a Dream? Yes, and I wanted to fucking cry after. <laughs> yeah, it's the same. It's it's crazy because in that film, they're kind of like juxtaposing, you know, addiction to that same, you know, fantasy of being on television. Like the mom, she's so hyper-focused on being, you know, you know, quote-unquote famous and, you know, seen on television that it literally drives her to insanity and the same physical and mental deterioration that her son is undergoing taking drugs. Like they're juxtaposing, not even juxtaposing, comparing those two addictions to each other. Uh, I really want to read this uh, uh, Baudrillard to get, um, uh, to learn more about that because- Yeah, no, just, really, he's really like, some of this, so, okay, so some of the stuff I'm like, well, what the hell are you saying? And some of it I'm like, I'm shocked how fucking real it is and like how on point what he's saying. And but, he's a 20th century writer, sorry, right? He's a 20th century writer, correct? Yeah, he he's he died in 2007. So he's not even like writing about like a a Twitter, Instagram, oh no, yeah, YouTube era. Um, but I want to touch on what you said because it was I think it was really important for a couple things. I think one, it describes the intimacy of which the spectator has with the media spectacle. Because that's what it is. It's a spectacle. It's meant to entertain you. And what was really, really, really intriguing for me when I, the like, third time I watched it, I caught this finally. It was 
you know, the sudden oscillation between Gotham News portraying and, and figuring um, the super rat issue as like a legitimate, you know, social ill. And then right in the same space, in the same, um, yeah, in the same space, in the same, almost the same time, it immediately switches to, this is a joke. We're going to laugh about the super, super rats and we need super cats and we're going to laugh about it. And it's actually not that serious. So like this sudden oscillation between reality and entertainment get interpermeated and like um, they, yeah, they they share the same space and they're interpermeating and it frames and it's, it all gets meshed together and sort of packaged into this framing and um, sense of what's real and sort of distorts and augments it. I thought that was so, so insane. It really portrayed that well. And what you're saying is crazy too, because um, <clears throat> like, you know, when after Parasite won an Oscar, Ellen DeGeneres, who's like our Murray, oh, you know, yeah. she, basically, she, she, she said like, Parasite won an Oscar right now. And if you haven't seen it, she spoils the movie, by the way. Uh, spoiler alert if you haven't watched the movie, but she's like, which is basically about a poor family living in a rich family's basement. So I checked my basement after watching that film, laugh from the audience, and then she just moves on. Like, it's like making, again, uh, which is crazy because it's like reality within reality. Because uh, I think Parasite is like an honest, brutally honest depiction of the ills of like our uh, neoliberal order. And she kind of just like flips it completely, a film that kind of critiques the the um you know the system that she benefits on and she just kind of makes a joke about it like ah this movie about poor people uh let me make it about myself yeah it's just forget the fact that she even spoiled like one of the biggest twists in the in the movie but just kind of like made it like a joke and like haha okay let's move on to the next segment it is completely spectacle and she turned it into spectacle like like you're saying like murray turns Murray turns the, you know, the the rat, the rat epidemic into like a joke. Like, let's get more cats and like moves on to the next uh segment. So because yeah, their their logic, I mean their their function is not to like be sort of like this honest, you know, figure. You know, it's just to entertain no matter and, and that's why I think the the late night talk shows are so destructive because it's 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 augmenting and it's distorting this, you know, idea of what's entertainment and what should we take seriously? So it's like anything political just becomes this thing that we passively consume and just demand more of. And it's like this ahistorical perpetual demand of this, you know, product. Cause that's what it is. It's a, it's a product, you know, like it's paid for advertising and their goal is to sell it to you. Like you're, you're the, you're what they're buying really. And then my question for you then, because then we you know watch the film and Joker, how does he kind of, you know, subvert this hyper reality when he goes on to the show? Do you talk about that at all in your article when he actually goes on to Murray? Yeah. Yeah. So Murray. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was such a good scene. Um so you know I 
we we can talk about the um critique soon because i thought they had something to say about this that like was it revolutionary was it subversive in my article i said it was subversive um in the context of the way i was analyzing it um through the like sort of bodiorian analysis you know he he writes that you know the political is now taken as a spectacle because it's passed through it's it's engaged in this sort of commodity form and so it's this ahistorical and perpetually an unsatiating thing that you're ingesting it's not you know political in any sense it's it's like eating chips um so in that way it's like this it it puts you it it's immobilizes you in this sterile and not sterile um passive you know um this passive role that you're not supposed to act on there's no dialogue like consumption is is one directional and one dimensional you're just ingesting and there's no political dialogue it's not i'm going to be informed and i'm going to take this into um you know political action or so i can more appropriately make political acts it's i'm taking this so that i can further engage and further um um, consume this thing that I'm being given. So the way he framed it was that the the masses nowadays are like a, a nebulous, like a black hole, um, to which nothing to to which everything is given, from which nothing is coming back, because it's non it has no dialogue. Um, so what I thought was subversive. Now now that I've read those articles, I wouldn't I don't know if I would call it revolutionary, but I think there are a few revolutionary lessons, but um, Anyway, I think, was it subversive? I think it was, because in the context of, okay, well, we have this framing of reality and we have this apparatus, media apparatus, which is filter, filter, filtering through this commodity, commodity form to disseminate what's taken as reality. Can that have a dialogue? Um, and so what Arthur did on Murray, um, I'm guessing I can spoil it, I guess. <laughs> That you know he he shoots him after admitting he he um, killed the guys on the subway. So what was subversive to me was that immediately afterwards, you know, people were rioting and burning things down. Everyone was, a, you know, donning a a clown mask. And to me, that was subversive because it sort of defied this kind of this nihilism that Baudrillard was kind of prophesizing that um, that you know that it's a black hole that nothing comes out of it. It's none, it has no dialogue. They're just passive spectators. And they're removed or detached so much from reality that, you know, there's it's just taken as a, you know, entertainment. Um so in that way that it had real um, I don't know if it was material change in terms of structure, but in terms of actual, you know, revolutionary action, quote unquote, breaking the so ripping apart the social fabric you know, burning cars, you know, I thought that was pretty subversive. And I think that was meaningful. Um, so that's how I sort of... Yeah, and I mean, the conversation he has, because let's not forget, again, Murray sensationalizes this guest appearance in that, you know, prior to this, he shows Arthur, you know, in a failed stand-up bit, it shows that to all of Gotham, like as a joke, like, ah, look at this guy, he'll never make it and makes fun of him. And then proceeds to invite him to the show to see if he can sensationalize this further 
and you know get more attention like oh remember this guy a few weeks ago we like made fun of well now he's coming to the show and you know arthur he's conscious that they are trying to manipulate him for you know viewership and you know spectacle and whatnot and he's like you know i know why you invited me here because when he admits like oh yeah i i shot those two wall street guys three wall street guys he's like oh you killed those people and he was like uh well well yeah you know you they're not the best of people Let, let's get over it only because thomas wayne cried about it you're complaining but like if it were he says if it were me dying on the street you would walk over me and he tells murray you're one of those people too and he's like oh really why am i how am i one of those people and he's like well you you brought me onto this show to make fun of me like you literally brought me onto the show to make fun of me not to treat me like as a guest with an actual like opinion and something interesting or an interesting perspective to come but to literally make fun of me further yeah and, and i don't know what's your i mean your response to that yeah uh, i think that moment when he tells him that's really profound like if it were me dying on the street you'd walk right over me yeah no i think it's i mean that's telling and like you know i think it was is interesting in contrast to his like fantasy he had before that you know through the screen he was he had this in, in profoundly intense profoundly intimate experience with them you know quote unquote experience you know that like you know murray had confessed that he was like you know, he wished he had a son like him or whatever, like, you know, and then he actually has an experience with Murray and it's this, you know, you know, he's spiting him. He's like, you know, he's just scoffing at him. He's laughing at him. Um, and, you know, I think what it really does, what Arthur does is he subverts the viewership because, you know, they no longer have this intimacy. Like, oh, like, you know, because presumably the people who um, who rioted afterwards were probably people who related to what Arthur was saying. You know, the people who were watching it were thinking, oh, that's, people would probably treat me like that too. That, you know, people would just walk over me if I died on the street. Um, so I think there was that sort of relatability that Arthur was conveying to everyone that was watching. And that they made um, Murray, I mean, he made Murray, they made... Uh, they realized that Murray was part of the elite that, you know, would spit on them. Um, so, you know, I think that was a, yeah, that's a really good thing to bring up because, you know, it's sort of like that disruption and, you know, sort of framing reality as it really is and not like the spectacle. Yeah. And then he breaks that reality between, you know, spectator and spectated and the hyper reality because, you know, even, even though you might fantasize yourself in that place, you know, you're still watching from, you know, um, an explicit distance. But it's kind of like the people that the, that, the, that the Murray Show and Gotham News are supposed to, you know, uphold that voice, that ruling elite voice, is completely subverted. Because one, he's bringing in someone who's like straight from the streets, which doesn't happen because it's usually like really wealthy, famous guests whatever and the people at home now they're not watching some spectacle they're watching someone who's like them and that person breaks that you know that barrier of safety when he shoots them on live television and goes to the camera and is actually it's really breaking all these barriers because now you don't have like some distance you know social elite talk because like, he's talking to viewers but he's not really talking to viewers right 
you know, he he's talking from a very fabricated voice. Like that's not who he is. You know, he's a, he's an actor. But like this real person, a real human, not someone who's like trained and to ha- how to speak to people, goes to the camera and talks to the people directly at home, completely breaking that barrier that that we're, we're used to. And it's like, like whoa. And it's kind of like a, it's like really super meta because we're also watching a film and him doing it also. But it's like, yeah, this person that we don't really or never see on our television coming who who's like us a working class guy he's speaking directly to us yeah yeah not even, yeah nine or four whatever is even after the fourth wall i mean like because yeah but yeah what do you what do you what do you think about that um i think that's a really good way to put it because um it's kind of bringing in this violent reality there it's like okay, this no longer is this, like, passive consumption anymore. This has, you know, reality attached to it, like something genuine happened. Like it's uh, The social fabric, I think, was sort of ripped. And I think that it, that's what it took for people to, you know, take the cue. It kind of, like, signaled them that, you know, they could do the same thing. You know, it was kind of um, like, a, like a cry out, a cry to... A call for action, you know that no longer are the elite going to like you know, treat people like shit anymore. You know the ninety nine percent people like shit. That you know th- that there can be like a violent dialogue. Yeah, definitely. It really expanded the realm of possibility. So, getting into some criticisms. Um about the film, of the articles I sent you, and will soon, I guess, link in the bio for this episode, are these leftist critiques of the film, which are, you know, critiquing this idea that the Joker is like this fully class-conscious film, and rather just, you know, reactionary subversion, rather than possessing any revolutionary messages. So, I mean, here's some central criticisms that from the film well we'll go i'll go one by one um um, and hear what you have to say about it but one is and this is one that i had myself is that so the class violence is definitely there but some would argue that it's not like he's consciously thinking about some like to to motivate or agitate people to you know act against the ruling elites, you know, his motivations arguably are purely done at an individual level. Like the people who he attacks individually antagonized him. Like the Wall Street guys, Murray, and the guy from work who gave him a gun and made fun of him or whatever. Those are the people he kills in the film. And basically what this this, um, side of the criticism is arguing is that his actions kind of just motivate an opportunist group of people who just want to, you know, cause an uprising, but not really are motivated by any clear class conscious, you know, or, 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 or movement at all, you know? So what do you think about that? That's a, that's tricky. Um, so I think, 
in terms of its like revolutionary message. I I would agree that like it's it is I can I I I see the critique. Like I definitely see that you know it's kind of like this reactionary like yeah like opportunist kind of um like framing of the quote-unquote revolution um but i guess what i sort of walked away from the film was not so much like a socialist like movie per se i think i think it was good in its critique of it was more so an anti-capitalist movie than i think it was like this sort of like leftist movie like if that makes sense like it's not like this socialist purely socialist attempt to say like oh we're gonna have an organized resistance and um you know that's honestly i thought it was it was a good representation of how alienated people are and what that might feel like or how people might interpret the social collapse going on or not collapse but the social deterioration around them and how they interpret that like you know art it was not clear that you know the the bourgeois took away the, were the responsible for yeah Arthur not having uh, way. It, it was just it just happened you know and there's not a, there's no reason for why the the garbage crisis is becoming so pervasive and so intense it's just happening um and you know the it's just alien it's just alienation and that doesn't yeah, always exactly coherent and so i you know, I, I I see the critique. It's like, well, you know, it's just saying that the only thing that can happen is opportunism. But, you know, I didn't think that it was that, like, opportunism happens. And this is how people frame yeah. the what's going on around them and how they interpret and how they act out. Because it's not like, oh, I'm going to, you know, I have solidarity with yeah. all my fellow workers. Let's all rise up. It's just fucking pissed at these rich people. Yeah. And I, I mean, there is, a, there is like a placard that, uh, uh, because you know when Arthur goes to like some gala that Thomas Wayne's at, like they they kind of like dub themselves the Jokers, <laughs> and one of the placards I think says like "kill the rich or eat the rich," and it's there, it's definitely there. But I mean, like the film has a lot of other threads that it needs to like deal with. It is a very you know character driven story, obviously. And I see the critique also. I think it's a fair critique, but there's also, you can have like pushback against it, like uh, what you're saying. I mean, we can relate this to our current social moment right now. Uh, you know, a lot of people in the Black Lives Matter moment, movement or just, you know, people who are protesting right now for rights aren't out there like, you know, explicitly asking for, you know, uh, rights for Black workers or workers in general. There are a lot of opportunists in that crowd, indisputably. Undisp- anarchists and tifa members and whatever who just you know as a sense of catharsis it is can be catharsis because i mean after the killing of george floyd you know the police station was burned down and there was a lot of uh damage to infrastructure but i mean for that community i mean they're alienated from that like People are complaining, the Target is, they burned down the Target. I mean, like, do you think Target, do you think they have any sort of social relationship with Target? You know, it doesn't matter if that was, like, class motivated at all. Like you said, people are just pissed that people like them who are living, who are marginal, who are living in the periphery, get are just treated like that. Who can lose their life at any moment, who yeah. just get stepped on and walked on. 
and it is a cathartic. Like, uh, I mean, you have to be critical of that perspective. Not any, not everything is going to be fully like, uh, you know, class motivated and whatnot. But the fact that people are mobilizing and showing that they're upset and you can't do this to anymore is is enough. You know. Yes, exactly. And like, I think it was. I think the way Joker framed it was honest because you know there is class sentiment. But class consciousness is like a step beyond that, I think. And like, you know, it's it sort of taking into account how atomizing and fracturizing or, you know, how it fractures people and creates, you know, it, it isolates people. And so I think to say that people have isolated experiences and don't necessarily think, OK, well, the next step for me is to go start a union. Like, you know, I think that's, I think that's honest as hell. Like, you know, I've a lot of people feel pissed and they don't necessarily relate it to the structural issues. They just, they, they know that, you know, they're being criticized by virtue of them being poor and they're just fucking angry about it. You know, I don't see that as, you know, obviously in an ideal world, there would be, you know, clear class consciousness, but that's just not the case entirely. You know, obviously class sentiment. I think the whole Bernie campaign and I think, you know, there was, I think class consciousness is is more in the in the um, is more tangible, but in terms of that translating to okay, well we need to organize and we need to have organized resistance. That's I that you know Joker didn't need to capture that because it was just I think it was more of an honest um, capturing of exactly. what today's moment. Man, yeah, like. no, I think that is an, a, a great critique to that critique. Also, it is more honest, and to be honest. We can't, you know, always falter to really utopian images of uprisings. You know, revolutions just start, you know, and or, you know, social movements and uprisings, they just start and it comes from, you know, pure frustration and anger. So we can't just, you know, limit that. Like if, if a we can't just dismiss if a revolution is not class based, well, then it's not a revolution. You know? uh, and even if it's not, you know, we can't argue that it's even if they're not going out there like, oh, let's start a union or whatever. We we can't deny that those people are feeling mobilized because of their current social uh, predicament, socially, socioeconomic predicament at all. So it doesn't matter if it's like an impl implicit, explicit part of the movement. You know, they're completely mobilized uh, for that. And I don't know. So I just hope something comes out of it. But another, so another critique of that, of, of this is that that I've read is that, you know, the masses, again, so people would argue that the Joker sort of embodies or just, you know, replaces Batman in this vigilante role in the sense that Batman is, you know, an outsider, someone in the market. Like, he, he operates outside of the law, right? Batman does. And so does Joker in, in this film. But in the sense that, again, Joker's motivations are purely at an individual basis. Like, Batman, Batman, like, wants to, quote unquote, save the city. But it's also, he has, like, a personal vendetta against these villains. Like, they're trying to destroy Batman, and Batman's trying to destroy them. And in that same sense, Joker is not like, well, I, he's speaking for the people and from the people. He's an actual voice of the masses. But again, like, his motivations are purely like, well, I'm just going to get back at you for mistreating me. 
and you know get a sense of catharsis out of that so people are like um another critique is does the joker you know sort of subvert the superhero narrative the common narrative which is just like you know minimalizes the 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 masses ability to collectivize and tackle an issue um by saying well if there's a grand scheme world-threatening issue we need to wait for you know an individual god a superhero a billionaire in the sense of batman and iron man to save us and the superhero narrative constantly you know limits the the capabilities of how how strong and powerful people are when they unite i'm not saying that fucking well, yes, actually, if a million people came together and tried to beat up Bane, I'm pretty sure they'd beat up Bane. But I'm not saying that, like, yeah, we, in these narratives, we can, like, beat up Ultron or Loki or whatever. But just, like, the sense, like, okay, if there's, like, a threatening social issue, we need to wait for these individuals to come save us. And, like, then the, the motivation wasn't there from the people until Joker comes around and they, they dub themselves as the Joker. The critique is that, you know, their own struggle is is de-individualized and their motivations are purely an extension of Joker's consciousness in the sense that they dub themselves the Jokers. Like they 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 self-categorize themselves and into this group think of we follow the Joker. You know what I'm saying? And it's not like when in that last shot, it's a bunch of people wearing clown masks, you know, but it's kind of like, uh, are they kind of like the indiv- individualized because they're just kind of following this uh, this mantle, you know, this this icon, you know? What do you think about that? Yeah, I I think that's I guess I can see it, but I think it's a less fair critique in my opinion. Like I think it's would be reductionist to say that oh they're just being Joker. And therefore, it's only Joker that could possibly have initiated this, you know, this sort of this spark, this like, you know, this the riots or whatnot. But I think that's that's unfair because you know that that's removing like the the previous context of like the tension that was building that was you know that did not include Arthur's role in it. You know, like the garbage crisis. You know, like the. Um, what the and yes, and then when Thomas Wayne criticized not just the killer but to all those people, you know, obviously yes, Arthur played a catalyzing role in that. But you know, there is always a catalyst. There's always someone to awaken people's consciousness and make them realize I'm in that same position. I'm a clown too. That he's called, you know, he's saying all the, all they're all clowns, and people, you know, become combative and people realize that well, that's my position too. So you know, being it, you're insulting the entire category of people. And so when Arthur, who is emblematic of that whole movement, does something like subverts the social fabric, you know, it's not them just saying, oh, let's just, you know, take this opportunity and, you know, you know, flip over cars. It's, he's right. I'm in the same position as him. Let's do what he did. You know, so I, I think, you know, it's not like, Arthur himself was the only reason that possibly could have happened. I think there were too many conditions which made that possible. Like the it was it only I think Arthur brought it to the forefront and put it, you know in the direct mode of possibility. But 
that mode of possibility. Dude, that's that there. is a really bad. That, um, that's a great response. Because uh, I'm thinking about when he was giving getting driven away from the Murray show, and those cops are like, "You see what you did? You see what you did to our city?" And I'm like, I mean, again, so the critique kind of like fails because I mean, not really fails, but like, had Gotham had like its social welfare, none of this would have happened, you know. And again, yeah, that's a fair critique that you know. It, it's always obviously to start a revolution it's gonna take unfortunately sometimes a martyr or something some really catastrophic or traumatizing event to really mobilize the people but who's to say those th- who's to say i mean we don't explore it but who's to say those it wasn't present in the city anyways <laughs> you know it just they just needed a push um for it to happen like protests have been going on in our own reality since june constantly and it's not like, oh, uh, these people were incapable of doing it before, but they're fed up. And they're like, well, no, I'm going to put my my energy and action into this, you know? And they they were motivated by something, but it's not like that, their ideology, it's not like me and you were like, we're just like, oh, you know, right now, now we're leftists, you know? It was there. It's been there. But it, you... You have responsibility. Think right. about it. Everyone yeah. needs yeah. to work. Everyone needs to, you know, get a job and whatever. You don't have the time for that. But uh, like you had said to me in a, in a previous conversation, had we not been in COVID conditions where we have the same turnout for these protests, it's like, well, people are not working. 50 million people are employed. They're like, well, what else is to do? Let me actually go out there and try to make a difference. So I think, again, you made like a really great, um, I guess, uh, response to that critique a critique of that critique yeah and you can you can tie it back to what's happening now like it's not like the protests that took place after george floyd was killed happened in a vacuum you know this was preceded by agitations and tensions and thing you know finally you know something snapped and so it's not and so when george floyd was killed that's an assault on all black people and that's an assault on an entire group of people so when you know, you know, when Arthur is, uh, you know, insulted as, oh, he's just, you know, these, all these people are clowns, you know, that's an assault on an entire category of people. So to say that's like only this vigilante that made it possible, I think that's just, that's a wrong reading, at least for me, because that, I think that A, misses the point. I, don't, I mean, the, the articles were pretty polemic against Arthur, and I didn't think that was fair, because... I think it was, it did have a lot of themes and things you had to pause the movie and yeah. zoom in on that were there too. Like every detail, every detail was there. Um, and so I, I didn't think it was fair to say, well, he was lazy. I think it was very, and I think it's, you know, it also keep in mind, it's, it popularized as hell. You know, it, it's entering the mainstream. I think it has to have a semblance of, well, you know, it can't be entirely like, like um, what's the movie? Uh, Snowpiercer. You know, it, you know, it has to be sort of subliminal exactly. or, you know, it has to be digestible to the masses. And I think it was as yeah. explicit yeah. as yeah. it could Can be. you, um, well, yeah, explain, like, again, what did that, because I, I know you took a still frame of that. What did that Gotham newspaper say, again, what was it about? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, so there is a scene when... Arthur was going to um, Arkham Hospital to check on his mother's records. 
And on the train, there's a scene where everyone's reading the newspaper, um, Kill the Rich, a new movement. Um, and there's just the scene where, you know, he's opening, he's reading it. Um, and there's just a picture of Thomas Wayne. And, you know, so I pause it. The third time around, I pause it and I zoomed in. I was just like, oh, I wonder what he'll say. It was just so funny. It was just propping up Thomas Wayne, his like family lineage, how he was always going to be like, come out the Mayflower. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. His dad like came off, I mean, his, um, his relative came off the Mayflower that his great, great, great grandfather founded like the Bank of Wayne after the Revolutionary War. How he has a history of philanthropy and he was a physician yeah. and how he's, you know, like Jesus himself. And like, you know, it was just crazy the amount of detail. And it was also really, really interesting because um, at the very end of that newspaper segment, all that of what was legible, you see there was um, they they're like, oh, so we had you know every major uh, movement or person has some opposition. So we interviewed someone who doesn't really agree with Thomas Wayne's platform, and they interviewed like this person who like worked as a dishwasher, and they quoted her. She was like, how can someone like Thomas Wayne? who is a multi-billionaire relate to someone like me who makes $2 an hour. $2 and then the an was like, yeah, wow. $2 an hour. Yeah. Yeah. And the newspaper was like, you know, there, there's always like a tiny opposition. Like, you know, when clearly that's the majority of people, people like Arthur, people like in that, that movement. That, 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 that newspaper obviously written by like the writers of the film. It's, it, it's totally yeah. like, you know, hyper satirical. But like, still very based in you know making fun of this. This is actually a great segue to the last criticism I want to talk about the film. But you know this, you know, wasp Puritan American narrative that like his obviously how would you know that his father came on the Mayflower, you know, to so like he's like a true, you know, pure European white American and whatnot. It's just a it's a hyper exaggeration, but it's really making fun of like these narratives of how we you know payload these people like well because his he's a descendant of someone the mayflower he can be trusted like basically yeah 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 me to the (laughs) my last the last criticism of it and this is something that i was uncomfortable with when i watched the film out of i wasn't uncomfortable with really anything but the only thing i was uh, uncomfortable with was the representation of black people and people of color in the film, which it's really troubling because um, I think the first group of color that is in the film are like the kids who like smack him in the face with like the sign or whatever. They're clearly not not white kids. And it's like every single black person in this film and you notice it because, you know, there isn't no, there's not a counter image of them is like, uh, they're, they're positioned as like an antagonist or like someone who annoys him or gets in his way. And I'll go one by one and explain. So first you have those kids. I mean, like, they're just completely like, just de-individualized and then like a group of just like hoodlums and whatever, who are just violent and they attack this this guy, which is like really sad in this film that's trying to, you know, uh, humanize the marginalized. And they completely destroy that by just showing a group of like kids of color, just, you know, randomly act violent against this this uh poor white guy um and then you have the social worker who's a black woman who tells arthur who's working for him who tells arthur yeah our, our programs are getting cut and whatever and the next time he meets with her he's like kind of like frustrated and angered with her 
in in whatever in a kind of annoying way. Um, the third person is when he goes to Arkham Asylum to try to get the papers. It's like another guy who's just trying to work and get money and you know support his family probably and himself trying to do his job. And Arthur kind of like just forcibly steals the paperwork from him and whatever. Who knows what's gonna happen to that guy with his job and whatever. Again, another black person's position as an obstacle uh, to him. And then you have um, the black woman who lives down the hall from him, who is just, you know, reduced to a sexual fantasy. And um, she's completely individualized. She's not given any sort of like, uh, you know, personal narrative. She's just kind of like in his fantasy, she's just someone there to give him emotional support. uh, Warranted, granted that Arthur imagines that because he lives in a world where he doesn't get any social comfort. But he imagines this woman, which is a problem because outside of that, she really isn't personified at all. And it's kind of just like an imagining of like, again, like kind of an obstacle, like, oh, this is just someone, like uh, another object that this, this, this white man can't get. And he's like a, she's like a sexual obstacle to his fantasy. Like, I can't get her, so I'm just gonna imagine her as my own possession. Because in those fantasies, she's just like kind of like following him. And, you know, just, like, just going to be there for him and whatnot. And the last one is, like, at the end of the film, again, a Black woman, he kills, like, the, again, a social worker is supposed to help him. And it's alluded to because he, he's running away and he has, like, blood foot, uh, footprints. And, I mean, she's just, just there trying to, like, again, support herself and her family. And, um, you know, trying to just work. And he just kills her. And I note this. Um, for people who are trying to criticize this perspective, like, well, what about the white antagonist in the film? Well, the thing is that um, there's like an array of images of white people. There's like white people who antagonize him. There's white people who are f- his friends, um, such as like the his, his the other friend he doesn't kill and, and whatnot. There's there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, an array of, uh, of um, white people who are depicted, but all white all the black people in this film. Oh, I even forgot one. The woman on the bus who tells him like, what, what the fuck's wrong with you? Whenever is another black woman and whatever. So it's like, it, it's not a problem that they're, that, that this is happening, but it's like, there's no counter image of like a black person who tries to be his friend or is just also in the same social predicament as him. They're all like antagonists. And that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. And again, uh, you just kind of notice like in the, the Jokers movement, Jokers with the Z movement, they're like all, you notice that the people who are wearing masks and at the last shot are like kind of like all white people. And it's really interesting, like if it's an if it's like a an urban city, there's definitely people of color there, but why why the it's just so hard not to notice that there's not people of color in those uprisings too. Yeah, so I think that's a totally fair critique. Um and after reading after you had mentioned this before and after like reading the article, I, I saw it and I was like, Yeah, that's that's true because you know there's like only friends are just you know white people, um, so I I think that's a totally fair critique. Just like the last thing, I mean, out of all the critiques we critique, this one is just hard to try to like. I mean, it's kind of fucked up if you're trying to counter critique that, but again, the way if you're trying to, I mean, like there's no really other counter um, images of people of color um, in the film at all. And why do you think that is? Like, what do you, 
I mean, is it just that, can we just reduce it to just like Hollywood is just a white institution? <laughs> or it definitely, I don't know. Just, what's, what's really like just, I don't know, troubling for me. It's like when you cast people in these roles, do you like, I mean, I, I didn't actually check in the script or not. It's like their race is not noted, but you consciously put black people in these, like, why not have like a mix of kids? Like, why those? Why were those specifically Latinx kids who had to hit him with a sign? You know, why didn't you think to like? Because I, I guess their own perceptions, like, well, they're violent people and whatnot, and working class people. Let's just show them as black people. But then when it comes to the uprisings, no one is black. No one is like, and there were working class people there. In, in, in the city, they undeniably in our reality and that reality. Uh, you see the bus is filled with people who are of, of non-white people or whatever. But even if it isn't, I mean, like, racism is both conscious and unconscious. It's just a part of our culture. And it's like, of course, if we undeniably live in a racist society, people are going to project their unconscious biases onto the realities because would can we can we also categorize categorize joker as a film as a hyper reality too like in itself <laughs> hmm. because question. i mean even if not so but you know you know what i'm saying joker is a product too it's coming from you know the capitalist hollywood system right they're they're trying to yeah to right right you know there's a lot of critiques in that sort of way you're framing it. I mean, like if you, um, in the book, Capital's Realism, they talk about, and Mark Fisher talks about the emergence of anti-capitalist films. And he says that it's, it has a function in that it does like the critique for us. Like, you know, like, so that we don't have to, you know, it's- What do you mean by it does the critique for us? So like, it's like, you know, oh, I've more or less um, logged in my like, um, like required uh critique of capitalism and like i can feel good about my position as a um, as a leftist and th that does not involve any like material involvement in like you know you know mutual aid or anything you know like so that's sort of what he was pointing to is that like you know that um anti-capitalist film part of the reason um it it's so efficient or you know it doesn't it, they're out nowadays um was that it does critique for us and it alleviates this kind of like guilt of you know am i doing enough but you know we, we've had conversations about this before but um, i think it's interesting that uh, so many um writers are so left but yeah i'm just i'm just bringing it up like a like a book that was also upon after reading capitalist realism i realized how relevant it was for joker too and i wish that um, i want to do another um, I wish I would have incorporated this book into the, mm. the I wrote because it was pretty um, because I wanted to sort of like go beyond like okay well what's the relationship of watching Joker to the the person watching it kind of like what you're bringing up yeah because that, that that's awesome. too. another thing in itself too right oh man that's super deep wow but I think this is a great place to end it. Um, Thank you for being my first guest ever. I think this is a great conversation. And if you have any other movies you want to come on and talk about, 
Uh, just the let me know. Find Phil McGraw on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you get your podcast. See you next time and thanks for listening.